You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Over the next month, in May and June, there'll be graduations all across the country for high school and college, and virtual is becoming our new habitat as these students figure out how to do things separate from one another. But we're going through right now what's the most significant event in their lives, and really the most significant event in all of our lives. And that includes people that are 80 and 90, and centenarians who have seen a lot of things, including the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and so many others. Here during this time, our high schoolers have begun their lives in very interesting times. I don't know if you've stopped to think about it, but the iPod was invented the year most of them were born in 2001. Texting was invented in 1992, but by the time they were born, almost everyone had a phone with texting capabilities. By the time they were five, the iPhone had come out in 2007. And they have known their entire lives with cell phones. And not just cell phones, smartphones. In fact, today, 77% of Americans have a smartphone. And there are over 3 billion smartphone users throughout the world. The largest companies right now are Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon and Facebook. And three of those companies were formed in the late 90s right before they were born. In fact, when they were three, YouTube was invented. YouTube is the channel that we're streaming this service on and things have become so familiar and comfortable on YouTube. When they were born, George W. Bush was the very first president. And by the time they were six, our very first African-American president, Barack Obama, was elected to office. When I was growing up, Star Wars was new. It was brand new. And in their lifetimes, they've seen six of the series episodes continue and three story movies continue. And Disney now even owns all of Star Wars. And don't, don't get me started on Marvel. Disney owns so, so much. When they were born, 9-11 took place. When 3,000 people were killed in one day. And that was the most recent time in our history when things were uncertain and confused. When the world had shut down and planes were grounded. And we were looking around for who was to blame. Who's the enemy? And why were they using planes? That time of confusion and uncertainty is similar to what it is now. Our college students, whenever they were born... On the news was the Columbine shootings. And now, all of these graduates are facing an unusual ending to their school career with COVID-19, dealing with social distancing, and yet again looking around for an invisible enemy. Where 9-11 took 3,000 lives, now each day we look in the news and see that about another 3,000 people die every day. It's pretty interesting to me to mark the decades, these last two decades, and see what's happened. It's even more interesting when we mark the passing of time, seeing a baby grow all the way up to being high school or college age. Today, 
our story, our text comes to us from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 13. And we're going to do the scripture reading a little bit differently today. I've invited some of the artists in our congregation, some of our younger artists, to help me out as I read the text. As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we were made orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. For when we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, wanted to come again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or our crown of boasting? before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Yes, you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and our co-worker for God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith, so that no one would be shaken by persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that this is what we are destined for. In fact, when we were with you, we told you beforehand what we were to suffer, to suffer persecution, so that it turned out as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He's told us that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, during all of our distress and persecution, we've been encouraged about you through your faith. For we now live if you continue to stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you? in return for all the joy that we feel before God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. And now may the God, our Father, himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we abound in love for you. And may he also strengthen your hearts in holiness, that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So thankful to my friends, my artists, who've helped me out with the scripture reading today. And it's amazing to me how fitting this ancient letter is for us. And we get to the point of what now has happened. You see, Paul has received a report good news from Timothy about the Thessalonian church. Previously on what happens now, uh, the believers had had to hide Paul and Silas and Timothy as they left in the night, escorting them away. And then when they went down to Berea, off the Via Ignatia stone road and away from the seaports, down to Berea, even then the Thessalonican government came to chase Paul and Silas and Timothy away. There in Berea, they get an escort where they're escorted up to Athens, up to the seacoast. I have to wonder if maybe some traditional soul is saying, okay, you're going to tell us these interesting ideas about God and about 
invisible kings and resurrected bodies. Why don't you go up to Athens? Athens is a place that welcomes all and any crazy ideas about God. So the believers drop Paul and the crew off in Athens. It's a little different experience than what Paul and the group are used to. They weren't drugged and beaten in Athens. In fact, this is the place where Paul preaches one of his marvels of sermon, where he preaches to the, about the unknown God and preaches in a way that connects to context and city in a very unique way. But this is where the gang splits up. If this were a Western show or even a spy novel, the wanted posters that depict three men with dark hair and dark eyes and dark skin, maybe they're made out of date because Paul sends Silas to other parts of Macedonia and he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. Well, what's the message for today? What, what are launching words for our graduates? What are Holy Spirit words that encourage and launch all of us into our faith? As a parent of graduate, and as many of us think about sending off our graduates, we can relate to Paul. He often called Timothy his son in the faith. And Paul, it's too dangerous for him to go back to Thessalonica, but he sends his son out into the fires, out to face what might happen in Thessalonica. His son in the faith goes to share the good news again with this group of people. I know that uh, Paul probably faced a lot, including differences of opinion from Jews and Greeks, but what we see is a relationship that is quite strong, quite powerful, and quite profound. The Jews would have not welcomed a message about a Messiah. The Greeks would have not welcomed having to get rid of all of their gods or dethroning their emperor. But we get the, these words from Paul. And the first thing that stands out to me is about their hearts being strengthened, even in the separation. Their hearts are with them, even in the separation. Chapter 3, verse 12. Or even back in chapter 2, verse 17. Paul uses this image of feeling like an orphan. And one of our pictures displayed that. Being like an orphan taken away from its parents. Now I know this is maybe one of those places where Paul does fit as a preacher. He mixes up his metaphors. In one point, he talks about being a mother. Another point talks about being a father. Here, he's like an orphan child. Other places, he calls himself a brother. But this, with all this relational language, is a lot like a love letter. Because we see something of the bond that he has, that even though our hearts, are, are our bodies are physically separated from you, our hearts are not separated from you. Does that sound like anything that you've heard? Different stories? Parting is such sweet sorrow. Do you remember who said that? Juliet and Shakespeare. Or what about absence makes the heart grow fonder? That particular line has been said by many people, but can be traced back to the Roman poet Sextus, who lived from 55 BC to 15 AD, about the time of Paul. Or what about this one? To love is one soul inhabiting two bodies, something that Aristotle said. 
or one more recent. I exist in two places, here and where you are, for Margaret Atwood. We get it. We, we get the sense of separation that Paul feels from this group of believers. That's where we're at right now. We want to be connected with one another, but we face being removed from the ones that we love, removed from our families, separated from being able to be with them during treatments and surgeries, wanting to be able to honor them through funerals or graduations or wedding ceremonies. We understand this and we relate to it because we've been removed from one another and it's difficult. Our worship services are online, our groups are online, our leaders and staff are meeting online, but it's hard. Well, another thing that Paul says, in addition to feeling like their hearts are still with them, even though the miles separate them, is the overwhelming joy that he feels for them. He sees them as his boast, as his crowning achievement. And we can relate to that with our graduates of all ages. Completing master's degrees late in life, completing a college degree, all of these things we can see with great joy as crowning achievements and great markers. Paul's kind of like a bragging parent. In verse 9 of chapter 3, or even at, in chapters, chapter 2 in verse 19 and 20, when he talks about how much he loves this group of people. I almost picture Paul as like one of those parents with an air horn at graduation, making the graduate just a little bit uncomfortable at how excited they are about their accomplishment. Well, as we look closely at this, and we get past Paul as a parent bragging about this group of believers, we know that his hearts are with, that their hearts are connected and they're with one another. And we know that the joy and the boasting is overwhelming. But across all of these miles, what, what can we learn? What can we gather? Down in verse 8, let's read it again of chapter 3. For we now live if you continue to stand firm in the faith. We live if you stand firm. I want to dwell in that for a moment because there's more to it than meets the eye. I mean, think about this story. Paul and Silas and Timothy were hidden by this group of believers. They were protected. And instead, the believers were drugged into the courts. The believers were the ones that were beaten. These baby Christians took care of them. So, for Paul to say, we live if you stand firm, I have to wonder if it doesn't have a rem remembrance of them being saved by this group of baby Christians. But there's more. There's more than just this focus on what they did where they stood firm and protected Paul and Silas and Timothy. There's more than just this mentality of standing for the safety of others. I think that there's maybe a double entendre or a triple entendre. Because Paul is saying, whenever he says, we live if you stand firm, he's talking about that his success is dependent upon their success. That as they continue to be strong in the faith, then Paul is going to continue to be strong. Paul lives whenever they stand firm. 
whenever he sees that they have developed and whenever they are thriving as new believers. If they were to stumble and fall, he would probably claim that failure as his own. He wouldn't want to hang that on them. That I can think of as no better message on today than we could share than that one today. No better one than we live if you stand firm. It's a focus on us being about others, that we're concerned about the success and the livelihood of others in the faith. You know, in this current passage, the good news that has come in this present situation, the fresh news, is Timothy arriving and telling Paul, hey, they're standing firm. They're doing really, really well. In verse 6, that's the good news message that comes. Now, all throughout this text, we've heard the gospel of God mentioned repeatedly in chapter 2 and all the way back in chapter 1. Many times in just a short epistle is the gospel mentioned. But here, it shifts and it begins to talk about their lives being good news. If you look at verse 6, this is what it says. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought to us the good news of your faith and love. So the shift is off of God and off of the message of Christ and onto these people and how that message has thrived in their own lives. You know, one of the things that's been kind of a delight and a joy during quarantine has been John Krasinski's Some Good News. And I don't know if you've seen that. He opened up a YouTube channel uh, in the early weeks of quarantine, and from his home desk, he presents to us all the positive news that he can dig up off the internet and online. And he shares that news desk style from his own desk. It's worth paying a look at, paying attention to, because we need good news. And that's what Christians do. We hold up what is good around us. John Krasinski has hosted high school proms. He's hosted graduation ceremonies and even a live virtual wedding, drawing in celebrities and common people into just delighting and being together as humans. That's simply what Christians ought to be about doing. Telling good news, being good news, living good news. That message is so powerful. And here, Maybe this might be John's verse about good news being their faith and their love. That this two-way street of God sharing good news with people and then people living it out, our response is good news. Well, how we live matters. And whenever we live for others, we're taking a very important stand. You know, in this time, I wonder what it would be like if a church or a group of believers practiced this reality of living for other people. That the success of a church or the success of Christians was all about how the young people do, how the newest Christians do among them. Paul shows us great leadership in his intent focus on these newborn Christians knowing that sleeping schedules and being rested and feeding schedules all affected their lives but didn't matter 
because of the development and the focus and the advancement of this group of young people. So think about your own life. What is it about your life that you're invested in and focused in on? Are we sacrificing our own needs? Are we sacrificing our own time and money for young? Are we showing them what that sacrifice looks like and calling them into that same sacrifice of their time and of their money? As I look at athletes today and I look at sports that kids play, I've kind of noticed that a lot of the focus is on games. And I can relate. That's the way it was for me. I'd rather scrimmage, I'd rather play than practice and learn and develop. But it seems like a lot of us are focused and obsessed on the success of being able to shoot the ball, hit the ball, block the ball, stick the landing, stay on the balance beam. And we're focused on this drive to win and there's less of a focus on practice. Practice is something that you do on your own time. Pay that private coach. But probably the most important and most significant time is what happens in practice. A commitment to a young person to develop over time, to that slow progress. No one started to play golf because they hit a hole in one. You don't start to play basketball because you hit a half-court shot. And you don't begin to run track because you set a speed record. All of those things come later. They come after a lot of practice. So as we think about our own lives and how we might live, what is it that is our life's work? What's our enduring gift? A lot of us will look at our children as a place of our most enduring work. And that is true. And I also want us to look at our own lives. What is it that we're wanting to be? Do we want to be a person of prayer? Well, are we praying? Are we setting aside time every day? Are we setting aside time on hours of the day to pray? Maybe we want to be a person of godly wisdom. Well, are we investing ourselves and listening to good teaching? Are we reading scripture? Are we reading good literature that promotes our learning of godly wisdom? Well, maybe we want to be the kind of person that's sharp in the word and able to express the truths of Scripture well. Are we reading Scripture? Are we invested in groups that are teaching us Scripture? I think we have to think about our lives in small blocks. These little things that we do day in and day out that form us as people. In our family, one of those building blocks is eating meals together. And it's really difficult. We can't always do it. But in quarantine, we've been able to do it a lot more. We eat meals together and we ask good questions. Not questioning one another's, but good question about your day, about things that you're thinking about. And we eliminate all screens, turning off phones, turning off television, so that we can really focus in on one another. Well, last week, we kind of broke that. We turned on the nightly news while we were preparing our dinner, while we were eating our dinner. And what might seem like background become the focus of our attention. That broadcast news began to fill us with what was new in the day, both the positive and the negative information of the day. And there's important things that should be learned on the news. We should pay attention. I'm not asking for isolation and separation from the news. But in that sacred moment of the meal, the focus is on human interaction, 
on being together. That is a place where we can grow and learn. And what we heard in the background was news that blames this person for that, that identifies that individual as the enemy, that chooses sides, makes people draw boundaries, assassinates people's character, points out the mistakes of other people. Essentially, it makes people the enemy. You know what? I'm going to say something a little controversial here. If you're a La Cueva bear, that's not your identity. Neither is being a Del Norte knight, or a Manzano monarch, or an El Dorado eagle, or a Sandia High matador. That is not your identity. To, to focus in on hating another school or attacking another school, that is not your primary identity at all. And I know you know that, and a lot of it is in good fun. But it's easy for us to think about those things as our primary identity. I'll go further. Sometimes we think our primary identity is our political party, whether Republican or Democrat. Or maybe it's our country, that we're American. I know that Paul would understand about these kinds of rivalries. As he moved from Thessalonica to Berea to Athens, I'm sure that all of those folks were rivals in ways as well. Even Greeks and Jews didn't see the world the same. But we the people need to be reminded that people are not the enemy, right? Right now the enemy is a virus. And that means that truth is not the enemy, and that all media are not the enemy. That searching to find data and science that helps us understand the spread of the virus is not the enemy. Weighing and comparing contrasting views and not putting them quickly into boxes and categories, that's not a practice that would suit us well. We need to listen to counter views. Of course we need to take measures to stop the spread of the virus. But in this time, we need to make sure that we realize that the people that we see day in and day out are not the enemy. And if we're following leaders that sow discord or that focus in on division or that use hostility, then we're not serving ourselves well. As Christians, we serve one leader, God Almighty. And we're in this together. And if there's anything that we can learn from these passages today, it's that we live for other people, that our success is dependent upon the success of others. And if we use the tools of division and discord and easy categorization, we will easily die by those same tools. It's not the way we need to live. Well, in this graduation, as we look at marking one day, Let's remember that it's one day. No parent can focus just on a single day as a marker for the entirety of their raising. And I want to invite us as parents, us as adults, to think about all days prior. To think about the significance of the first day of kindergarten, or the first day of driving to school, or the first unchaperoned date. The time when the door slams because mood is difficult when they leave that day. What do we teach and what do we show about God during those days? We won't focus just on the athletic success or academic success of one moment, but focus on the long haul. 
on making enduring and strong-hearted people? How is it that we invest in others for the long term? Our greatest asset is our young. We are to focus in on them. And we can do that together in cooperation. Our love for others should overwhelm them as we focus on what's abiding, like faith and hope and love. Having faith in a God that's beyond what we can see. Hope beyond the circumstances that are around us. And a love that embraces others. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for being a good God. For loving us when we're unlovable. Father, would you help us to look at one another, not as the enemy, not as someone with a different view, not even as someone who we think of as wrong, but to see them as a child of yours. Father, would you help us as a church and as a community to be focused on building people that will last, people with enduring hearts, devoted to faith and hope and love. We thank you that you have not forgotten us. And we ask that you bring an end to this virus and bring us together in ways that right now we cannot see. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.